Hello and welcome back to Old Sport Podcast. The leaves are starting to fall and winter is coming. Fortunately, Hugo, Ben and myself will endeavour to keep the souls of you, the listeners, warm throughout these shortened days by digesting a bounty of high-octane sports content. We've got plenty of AFL, cricket and soccer controversies to dig into this week. I'm me, they're them. Ben, how are the Saints? (laughs) What did you just say? (laughs) Sorry. What did you just say? Um, yeah, mate. I uh, I'm pretty pumped with how the Saints are going. I was I was feeling pretty good. Saw us sitting fourth on the ladder after after five rounds. You know, days are getting short, and the Saints are still more or less relevant, which is always a good thing. But then I was absolutely flattened to read that Mick Malthouse is bullish on the Saints' chances, considering his <laughs> most recent <laughs> prediction about Essendon looking the goods to win the flag and how poorly that is aged so um look I'm, I'm i'm mixing the optimism that that i'm seeing with my two eyes with what i understand about mick malthouse current form in in tipping winners and uh, i'm balancing it out somewhere in the middle but i reckon we we look all right hugo how are you going mate yeah i'm good uh heart-stopping weekend of footy action especially for for my team the blues um, but let's let's dive straight into the footy then. Um, so on Thursday night, we had Brisbane defeat Collingwood in a much closer game than, than was anticipated. Bulldogs defeat North Melbourne in a very, very one-sided Good Friday clash. Sydney also smashed West Coast. St Kilda held on to defeat Gold Coast. Uh, Adelaide shocked to Richmond with a, a great win for that side. Um, Melbourne just way, way too good against JWS. Carlton held on despite leading by 50 points to win by one point, sorry, three points at the end. Um, and Fremantle defeated Essendon in a pretty convincing second half display, whilst Hawthorne another upset against Geelong. Um, that leaves the ladder with Melbourne in first, Fremantle second, Brisbane third, St Kilda, Sydney and Carlton fourth, fifth and sixth. Then we have Four-point drop-off to Geelong in seventh and Hawthorne in eighth, and then the rest of the sides are outside the eight. Uh, Then we'll go straight to the NBA with the playoff action now underway. Um, Playing tournament is over, and that resulted in the Nets and Hawks progressing as a seventh and eighth seed in the east, while the Timberwolves and the Pelicans progressed in the west. Still fairly early in the, the first round of the playoffs, but the favourites are looking likely in each matchup, except for the Nets and Celtics, which is looking like a really good series, could go all the way to seven games. Um, but the Celtics managed to claim the first game there with a last-second buzzer beater from Jason Tatum. Ben, have you been caught any of the, the basketball action? And what about some other results from the rest of the world? Um, yeah, I've been watching a little bit of the basketball. I've been, um, I've been loving watching Kyrie playing against... Boston um, that that hostile TD Garden crowd which um do not think much of of Kyrie who <laughs> the viewers know used to used to play for Boston in a, a pretty ill-fated couple of seasons there um and is now playing against them for the Nets really keen to see potentially a Ben Simmons comeback that's probably the only thing that could really pique my interest in these playoffs I know we might not dive into a little bit later what's potentially holding back these NBA playoffs from the enthusiasm that usually surrounds them. I'll quickly just rattle through the sports in my niche and that's largely cricket and golf, obviously a bit of a, a lull with cricket. There's the IPL going on in the County over in England, but, but nothing that I think is really befitting of the, the listener's attention. The only thing I would mention is that we had a, a blistering half century from Aaron Finch overnight, who's sort of, looking like he's trying to wind back the clock in some pretty hand, handy timing uh, with the World Cup coming up. And Joss Butler continued his incredible white ball form uh, with 100 overnight off hardly any balls for some reason, just can't translate that into red ball runs. But that's how it works. And in the golf, Jordan Spieth won the RBC Heritage in a playoff over Patrick Cantlay. It's his first win in ages. He's gone through numerous swing changes um, and he seemed to really win it on intangibles. I watched the last nine holes this morning. He didn't seem to be swinging it that well. He didn't seem to be putting that well, but he's a fighter and he's a winner and he got the job done. So that was, that was pretty good to see. I'll have a bit more to say on that later. Hamish, what about the world of soccer? 
Yeah, well, over in England, Ben, the title race is very much alive for now at time of recording. That may have changed by the time we release this episode because Liverpool are playing Manchester United in the biggest game in English football tomorrow morning. Uh, it's a top four shaping battle. It's a, it's a title shaping battle as well. Uh, meanwhile, Burnley sacked Sean Dyche during the week. He was the uh, longest existing manager in the, the Premier League when he was sacked, 10 years in the job. Um, and it shows the, the situation that Burnley's in there captain ben Mee is now uh, a co-coach which you do not see very often in professional sport let alone in one of the richest leagues in the world of sport um but they are seeking to avoid relegation it's really down to burnley and everton it seems trying to avoid uh, that third spot relegated alongside norwich uh, and watford uh in the fa cup liverpool and chelsea both won through in their semi-finals and they will meet in the fa cup final and in the women's competition chelsea and manchester city who have been dominant for several years now in the women's game will, will meet as well over in italy and it appears the three horse race is down to two with the two milan teams inter and ac uh seeming to be in a, a two horse race now for the Serie A title there's just two points separating them but a game in hand for inter in second place and finally, in the A-League, we've got our three Victorian teams top of the table, which is pretty exciting. Hasn't happened before. Shows that Victorian football is in a, a good place at the moment. We'll quickly touch on the rugby as well. So the Super W is wrapping up this Saturday, and the final is between Fijiana, currently undefeated, and the Waratahs have lost just the one game. So be sure to check that one out if you get the chance. And finally, we've got the Panthers and the Storm still dominating the NRL. Uh, seem to be the two clear best teams once again. But boys, let's dive straight into it. Main story of the week. Where else do we start with a, a very interesting round of footy? There are a lot of talking points to come out. And look, we are aware that by the time this episode drops, people will be looking forward uh, to round six rather than, than looking in the mirror. But we're going to touch on a few issues that will carry through the upcoming round. Ben, do you want to guide us through it? Yes, let's talk footy. Um, it's a sort of weird and weird and wonderful season. I, I don't really know where a lot of teams are at. It's sort of hard to to pinpoint where everyone is, who's good, who's sort of riding early season momentum but will fall off. It's tough to get a read on. I think there's one team at the top that we know is really good. I mean, Brisbane's probably excellent and a few down the bottom that we we know aren't too good. And then a whole lot of teams in the middle that is still just jostling for position. So I'll go through some of the, the big headline acts and I'll just get your two cents on each of them as we go through. Carlton, we'll start with you, Hugo, for some proper unbiased opinion. Where do you <laughs> see the baggers? They seem to be playing good halves, good quarters, and then completely falling in the pits. But twice that's happened on the weekend and then previously against Hawthorne. It hasn't really cost them four points. So you're still no. pretty bullish on the Navy Blues? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think as a Carlton supporter, you have to be happy with the, the wins that we've had. Um, so firstly, you just got to look at the positives and we have played some really good footy at times. And honestly, I think our best footy will challenge most sides, if not all. Like, I think if we played four quarters of our best footy, we could challenge anyone, um, but we just haven't. I don't think we put three quarters of our best footy out in one game, um, let alone four. So... I mean, Michael Voss has spoken about how we're not the finished result yet. Um, and maybe that'll come next year or the year after. But um, no, I'm, I'm happy with how he played. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see. I think it's particularly the third quarter. I think we're outscored 50 to 200 almost in third quarters. That's good. So, <laughs> And they call out the premiership quarter. So it'll be interesting to see if they can turn something around there. Um, getting Cripps back next week, Pitnet proving to be one of the best rucks in the comp, has the highest um, average hitouts to advantage in the entire comp. So getting him back was huge um, this last week and um, Cripps back this week hopefully will be good. And also Sam Walsh having an amazing game when it looked like he wasn't quite 100%. Um, and then you've got the two forwards as well, Mackay and Kerno. So very good things. Um or any counter opinions there? No, I agree. I think I think there's a lot to like. To be honest, um, I might throw to you on on these two, Hamish, two sort of real stalwarts of the competition, always seem to be up there over the last sort of half decade or so, and that's Geelong and Richmond. Are we finally seeing the curtains drawn on on these two sort of semi-dynasties, um, or do you still think there's a little bit of life, life left? It's an interesting question. I think... Uh, I've said this since before the season started. For me, Richmond's dynasty is or dynasty is is definitely over. Um, 
just, you know, if their system's good, I still think they are a chance to they'll finish between for me, seventh and eleventh somewhere in that that bracket. And they're a, yep. a fine team, um, a middle of the road team. Geelong, I think the dynasty is very much not over. Um, if I was a Geelong fan, I know losing to Hawthorne isn't um great, but it's not losing necessarily in ways that would be worrying me. They're creating chances. They're just not really putting them away. And that's something that can be fixed. It doesn't seem to be necessarily a problem with their system per se. Um, and I also think Geelong is, is known for starting season slow and trying to, to work into it. Um, but they wouldn't want to have too many more repeats of what happened on Easter Monday, pretty disappointing day for their fans. Uh, but they are two interesting teams to watch throughout the year because we both know their, or sorry, we all know their, their ceilings of both of them are, are very high, um, but it's whether they can get to that level or not. And just a quick one on Carlton whilst I'm here, um, just to, to balance it a little bit. Um, well, firstly, I think Zach Fisher was a huge in for them. Uh, he's a serious player. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Gresham, the way he, he goes about it and his skill. Um, the worry I have for, for Carlton is, is basically Melbourne. Um, simply, I think Melbourne match up so well against them with the two rocks kind of um, taking pit and a strengths away. And then the two key backs that are the best in the comp up against Carlton's key weapons who are their, their big forwards. So, and that's going to be the challenge. And I can't wait to see the blues face the demons because the blues towered them up in the, the preseason. So I'm really looking forward to, to that we one. have to wait until round 22. Cause that's, the I, know. Oh, God. <laughs> I know who knows they might wake, they might meet first week of the finals as well. Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. We'll, uh, well, the last wait week and of see. The finals. Um, <laughs> all right. Very good. I'll just chuck before we get off the individual teams, I'll just throw some, some either ors at you. Would you rather be a Sydney supporter or a St Kilda supporter right now, Hugo? Um. Oh, tricky one. Oh, let's. I'll just go St. St. Kilda. Yeah. Okay. Any reason They've why? Beaten, just beaten all me. the cut. The teams Carlton have beaten by more. Look very good. Um, Sydney have had some. Like, I mean, Sydney struggled to beat North Melbourne. There you go. Yeah. That's there you go. All right. That does there. it. Um, you're taking Hawthorne or Collingwood, Stewie. Um, I find these two so hard because for me they're in such yeah. the same bag. I think probably Collingwood. Um, I think Hawthorne's youth is very good in their defensive half, and Mitch Lewis is coming on as well. Um, but I think Collingwood ran the board of slightly more to like about them. Um, with the likes of of Dacos running around in the in the midfield, but to be honest, I you know I see them very much in the same boat at the moment. All right, agree with both of you. Very good. All right, well, let's move along to something slightly more controversial. We spoke in theory about the descent rule vis-a-vis umpiring before it had actually sort of filtered its way into the game proper, and we're all quite supportive of it, again, in theory. Over the weekend, we saw it in practice. Is anyone (laughs) willing to change their tune of support? I might start with you again, Hugo. Um, I think it's just been executed really poorly. I think it's the right rule and needs to be there. I just think the consistency is the thing that's really lacking. Um, you've got clear decisions that, or the clear actions that are the same across different games. Some are being paid, some aren't. And that's which, the raising which of side, the arm. Yeah, which side which of that si- do you fall on, on, Hugo? On that, I mean, I'm not... Maybe a raising of the arms doesn't need to be doesn't need to be paid. I don't mind if it is though, as long as it's consistent, because then the players stop, you know, you can cut it out. Whereas if well, obviously there's going to be ones where players don't think about it, they react, and you know, that'll cost them a free. But if it's consistently paid, I, I don't have a huge issue with that being a, a 50, although maybe it could be a 25 instead of 50. I, I love that idea. I was literally just sitting here thinking that it seems bizarre to me that if someone takes a mark and you come in late and absolutely clobber them over the head, that's a 50 meter penalty. And if you just like shuffle <laughs> one centimeter laterally on the mark, that is the exact same penalty. And 50 meters is like, while it sort of fits some, um, infringements it's such a harsh penalty yeah. for some of those minor sort of technical infringements um that i and think most of them happen in in the middle of the ground or or yeah. going towards the 50 as well so it's such a costly error like yeah we saw one in the defensive pocket last weekend 
Uh, I almost don't mind a sort of a category of infringements. Um, yeah. That that are twenty or twenty five. I don't know. It, I think as long sort of as hard, but... as long as it's written down which falls into which, and it doesn't become an umpire interpretation thing, because you want yeah. the least interpretation possible in the game. You want the rules to be to be there and enforced as they are. I think at least and the umpires already have to interpret so many things in a game of in a game of AFL that if you bring in um, for severe penalties, it's 50 and for less severe, it's 25, then it becomes umpire interpretation. But if you say, you know, uh, not standing is 25, but, you know, clobbering someone is 50. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree. Uh, Hamish, you got a bit to go off there. Yeah. You make good points. Um Look at what rugby unions kind of come to, which is where the captains kind of the only ones who really speak to the umpire. They refer to them as sir. It's all very like respectful. Um, yeah, it's also a private union. school, boys. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and AFL isn't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you can see the the issues that rugby union were have addressed by doing that, but I'm not sure if AFL lends itself to that extent in the same way. I know the rugby union rules are very frustrating for fans as well as players, but because AFL moves so fast and the, it's not just a, it's not just straight lines where it's happening. It's a 360 degree game. It's so much harder to umpire. And uh, the, the way that free kicks are paid can often be slightly controversial as well. Um, It would be a huge change in not just the players, but also the footy public to just have to start accepting umpire decisions as kind of just a, something that can stop your flow. Um, And I think if they do introduce it, so that any kind of descent, like even looking at the umpire or whatever is, is paid as a 50 meter penalty, there'll be some real advantages that teams can get there by changing their mindset about how to do it in terms of just seeing that as part of the game, not as like a, something that stopped them from getting to where they wanted to go, but something that was like, Oh, that happens. We'll go again. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not really sure where I stand. And I, I feel like, raising your arms in a non-aggressive manner should not necessarily be punished. Um, even though they, they, the interesting one is that it said written in the rules before the season started, if you point at the screen, which players obviously were doing a lot last year and stuff yeah. to like show the replay, that's an automatic 50. So you won't see players yeah. doing that one, but they hadn't written in the arms in the air. So it's very interesting. Um, and it's interesting how much media time it's got as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, heaps. That's so funny how much <laughs> some of the old heads hate it. It's yeah. hilarious. I'm gonna chat a bit about it below, but like I was listening to the radio, Mark McClure on the radio. Oh, and he I find him hilarious to listen to. He's <laughs> so grumpy, he's always having a gripe about something. Um, but he's like he's sort of borderline interesting to listen to, but he absolutely hated it. He was he was commentating the St Kilda Gold Coast game and just completely gave up all attempts at actually calling the game in front of him. <laughs> and just went on this sort of tirade about the lack of personality in football. It was so funny. That is really funny. Um where did you guys fall on the Trent Cotchin MRO decision? For those of you that didn't see uh Cotchin was tackled over the boundary line by Taylor Walker and then kicked his leg out and kind of scraped Walker's upper thigh as Walker was jumping over the top of him. And it was graded as intentional but low impact, which is just a just a fine. Uh, did you guys, the, the malice involved, um, did you guys think that is something you want to see reported or because it didn't hurt Walker, are you, are you satisfied that it's just a fine? Oh, it's just like the same discussion about whether we're focused on outcome or action. Um, yeah which obviously has its own set of connotations involving concussion, but it's, it's kind of the same. It's just the same debate. And I, I really think that you want to be focusing on, on actions and stamping out actions, which uh, uh, harmful can cause harm, bad for the game, all those sort of things. So I think by, by that reading, I'd say it was a, it was a poor call, a poor call. I haven't really looked at the footage over and over. I saw Tex had a bit to say about it, that yeah. if the roles of the, were reversed. As well. um, but yeah, I don't know. No, no really strong opinions other than just the, the broader comment about actions and outcomes. You, Hugo. Yeah. I thought it was a pretty ugly act. Like just, it's just so strange. It feels so like such a bizarre thing to do. He's basically tackled over the line and then kicks out his leg. Like, it's, I don't think it's something that like, it's very unlikely for that to ever cause 
significant damage unless maybe he took his leg at the wrong angle or something. But I just, I, I kind of hate that type of thing. It's just so unnecessary and such a bizarre thing to do. It's like petulant schoolboy, the school child who's frustrated and takes his anger out by kicking the air or something. I don't, it was just bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Cochin is a bit of a petulant school child. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Can you imagine if, if um if Toby Green had done the yeah. same thing? The yeah, outcry. Yeah. It's always the the, the Toby tax as they talk. Should we move on? Hugo, do you want to take us through our next one? Yeah. So for those that didn't see Australia, Cricket Australia announced the new head coach uh, of the the men's Australian cricket team, and no surprise, being Andrew McDonald. There was rumours for about a week that it had been confirmed and for months before that, that it was likely to be Andrew McDonald. Um, interestingly, they appointed him coach of all formats, despite several people talking about how it would be a good opportunity to bring in different coaches. He has spoken about um, relying on his assistant coaches for some shorter format um, series and things like that, which we have already seen before. But um, personally, I thought it was a good opportunity to bring in a, a, at least a T20 or maybe a T20 ODI coach. Um, and also a four-year term, yeah. I believe, for Andrew McDonald, which four was years. the same length as the one Langer had, which just felt a bit too long in the end. And he's got a year coming up where it's tests in India, I think, uh, a World Cup in India and the Ashes. So that's going to be a long year. Um, so, boys, firstly, the, the four-year um, appointment and then also the the lack of separate coaches. What do you guys think about that? Um, yeah, if I, I don't mind the four years as much. Um, it gives him, yeah, it gives him an Ashes series, both, both forms of the game, World Cup, um, I think the decision itself was, was a bit of a no brainer to, to give it to him. He seemed to have really widespread support among the players. Um, and then the idea of splitting the coaches up across the formats. Um, I agree with you. I think that makes a lot of sense, but if he is going to lean heavily on assistants and, and specialist coaches in the, the shorter formats, then I think that sort of, um, fits the purpose and then you also get that sort of unified cohesive messaging across the the three formats and the same front to media so i think um it, it sort of has its pros and cons but yeah by and large it's a pretty good decision i'm excited to see how it, how it all pans out yeah i tend to agree um the mcdonald cummins axis you know captains usually around for I don't know, four to six years, probably a pretty good term for, for any Australian captain. So you feel like that'll probably be about the same time for Cummins as it is for, for Andrew McDonald. Um, it, it's tricky knowing that Aaron Finch probably, I mean, he wants to go to the World Cup next year. It's probably only going to be there for another year. Uh, I like the idea, like Hugo said, of having a white ball coach and having a white ball, different white ball axis with um, Finch and whoever it, it might have been um, that they selected there and it, it just enabling McDonald to spend more time focusing on the Red Bull game and, um, you know, being able to put all his his energies into that and having time off as well. Um, but, you know, they know what's best. I'm sure there's reasons why they didn't do that. Um, I'm not sure if that's contractual or financial or just logistical or simply they thought he was the best man for, for all three roles. We'll never know. Um, but like Ben said, I'm, I'm keen to see where it goes. Seems like a very popular decision within the team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other story in cricket, Hamish, is the the tumult of English cricket right now. Um, I don't think they have a single leader in any of their <laughs> major leadership positions of English cricket, including the captain of the men's team. Um, <laughs> where did you want to start with that one, Hamish? Yeah, so England are currently lacking uh, cricket coach cricket captain well they just appointed rob key as director of cricket with absolutely zero prior experience he's been commentating on sky for the last five years um <laughs> anyway i saw kevin peterson on twitter put up his hand nominate himself once rob key had been elevated to director he said at rob key formally nominating myself to captain the english cricket team so interesting <laughs> to see how kp goes with that one um but the interesting one is joe root stepping down um 
He's England's longest serving captain. He's most successful based on test wins, not on necessarily win percentage. Um, and then it's very interesting looking at the uh, odds for who is going to be the next captain. Yeah. Ben Stokes is the heavy favorite, uh, which if you'd said a couple of months ago, would just yeah. have been unthinkable before the Ashes. This guy was out taking mental health break. His finger was completely ruined. Uh, we, we weren't sure if we were going to even see him again. And now he's talking about being the, the favorite for the next next captain. We've had Joss Butler raised as a, an idea, even though he seemed to absolutely hate playing in the <laughs> test team over summer. Um, we've had Stuart Broad, although he ruled himself out this morning. Uh, he, you know, Stuart loves a loves a comment on the socials or in the media. Um, he's saying, got his column. He does have his column, his weekly column. Um, but he was he was saying, oh yeah, well currently I'm actually not in the team, so I quite <laughs> like to be picked in the team first before I'm captain. Uh, thanks everyone. But honestly, um, it could it's just as likely that someone not in the team could be captain. Exactly. Like, if it's not Stokes, yeah. then it could be yeah. anyone. The, the others who have been raised, um, Sam Billings, Johnny Bairstow, James Vince, Alex Lees, uh, a bunch of guys who have been Zach in and Crawley. out of the team. Zach Crawley even. Um, I have honestly have no idea. I think Stokes is probably going to have to do it, even if it's just for this summer until someone steps up because currently he and Root are literally the only two names. Yeah, they're the could, only mainstays. You could put on the thing. Um, I guess if you guys could have a bit of a left field choice as people who would be excited to see as captain, but not necessarily, you don't have as much riding on the outcome. Who would you Who would you like to choose as the next captain of English cricket? I think I've got a good one. I yeah. think Mark, Mark Wood would do a great job. The only the only thing is they don't like him to play consecutive tests, but yes, I and mean, he was said that about Cummins and <laughs> uh no, Mark would be great. <laughs> yeah, I agree. He gives it his all. I think from what I saw in the Ashes, um Bearstow, even though like same deal, he was he came in to the team during the Ashes, but he um he's at least a fighter. Um but I don't know, like <laughs> where, where else do you go? Yeah, as you said, Stokes. Moe and Ali, bring him back. Moe and Ali, oh, KP's he just as likely. Yeah, he's retired. <laughs> but he's on. He, he's the fifth most likely man on the equal, well, equal third on the uh, the current betting odds, and he's retired from international cricket. Gamble responsibly. Um, gamble gamble responsibly. responsibly, obviously. Yeah. And while obvious. gambling responsibly, don't put money on Moe and Ali to be the next <laughs> captain of England. <laughs> Hot. Oh, very good. Uh, Hugo, would you like to run through the NBA playoffs briefly? Yeah, so I touched on it briefly before. Um, we don't need to go through everything, but Ben, you you like your basketball as well as Hamish. Have you got any predictions, any any thoughts? Hamish, your Golden State won again today. Looked pretty good to beat Denver. Um, yeah, any any fun predictions? <laughs> oh, nothing that fun, really. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'll be interested to see how far Golden State can go interested to see how far Brooklyn can go. Um, I think, I think Phoenix look, look really good. Phoenix yeah. Milwaukee again, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Decent shout. Um, yeah. I think the Warriors will be keen to just get the next game as well um, and try and get three nil up and kind of break the back of that, that first series. I'm hoping that Minnesota really pushes Memphis to, to six or seven games and, um, gives them a real run for their money so that we've got a decent chance in in the conference semis. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with Ben. I think probably Phoenix and Milwaukee, it's hard to tip anyone else at this stage, although we'd love to see the Heat get in there as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the Heat are flying a bit under the radar as they have all season. Mm. Um, number one record in the East. Um, always tough to beat to beat Giannis, but I think they've got the defensive lineup to to do it. Um, did you guys see that they announced Marcus Smart as the defensive player of the year as well? Oh, no. um, that's cool. So that's the the first first of the player awards announced. They kind of gradually get announced over the next few days and week or so. Um, fine landing in the the MVP. I think about a week from now. Thoughts um, on um, Thibault not getting the second yeah, shot of the vaccine and now great. he can't play in Toronto. Like, great. <laughs> I saw Stephen A. Smith. On, on his ESPN show went completely off at the concept of getting one dose of the vaccine and yeah. then giving up the ghost. <laughs> and now he can't play half the playoff gates. What an idiot. Yeah. The only reason I've heard people do it is because they had a really, really bad reaction 
to the first That's one. Not the reason the, he gave I know, well, I know. Yeah. The idea of just becoming an anti-vaxxer after like having a dose and then like having 5G coming out of your arm or whatever like, just doesn't make <laughs> make any sense to me either. Um, yeah, something about these Aussies who go over and play in the states. Um, hopefully, uh, Josh Giddy can can avoid that and you know mm. fly the yeah. flag like Joe, Joe Ingalls has. True. Yeah, you mentioned Ben Simmons before. I really hope. I almost hope he doesn't play. Um, mm-hmm. You reckon? Just to avoid, like, imagine coming in after all he's been through to this playoff environment. Like, the Nets could be facing, you know, a, a go, um, win or go home match against the Celtics in the first round. And then they're most likely going to come up against Milwaukee. And then if they win that against probably the Heat or the 76ers, like, the yeah. 76ers being his past. It's not going to be easy. And he's struggled with mental health. I think it's great that he's got Patty Mills with him. There's footage of those two walking around together at the games and Patty taking him under his wing. But I think it's, yeah, it's not going to be ideal. I think there's almost no chance he actually will play. But, like, <laughs> he's a professional basketballer and he's also, like, I think people actually forget how good Simmons is. No, of course. I know he's, he's was enough, at least. Like the, the mental health battles is, is the main thing I was yeah, you know, no, thinking I'm, about. Around. I'm very much with you on that. Yeah. But like, I don't know, it, it would be, it would be great to see. He's just too talented a basketball player yeah. to, to not be featuring in the, in the NBA playoffs. But yeah, I agree. That's obviously the first consideration. All right, roll along. Moments of the week, respective moments of the week. Let's do it. I'll start us off. Mine was one I touched on a bit earlier. It was Jordan Spieth's big comeback win at the uh, the RBC Heritage. As I said, Spieth just really struggled over the past sort of eighteen months to two years. Uh, hasn't really been able to find his swing at all bubbled along sort of in and around the top fifty of the world. But for a guy that looked like he was going to absolutely take the take over the golfing world in his his young 20s it's been a it's been a pretty disappointing last couple of years so it was really good to see him back in the winner's circle um good to see that when he can actually force his way into contention he's still got that winning mentality and that's still a resolve that served him so well a few years back so i'm really excited to see if he can work his way into contention um maybe at the at the u.s open at, at brookline or or the big one the 150th uh, british open at St. Andrews. St. Andrews is a course that I think sets up really well for Spieth if he's swinging well. So that'd be a, that'd be a one to look out for, I reckon. And who uh, have you got um, completing the Grand Slam first, Jordan or Rory? So Jordan needs to win a PGA Championship. Rory needs to win a Masters. Um I think the fact that the PGA Championship moves around and you can get a course that sets up well for Jordan, but the Masters has been in the same place forever and will be in the same place forever. And (laughs) and Rory has gone in to the Masters a lot of times, the best player in the world and hasn't got it done. I'd say Jordan, probably. I just don't think something about Rory and Augusta, even though he finished well there last week, it just doesn't seem to really click. I'm excited to hear about your one. Hugh, uh, sorry. Let's go. Oh, got Stuart. Yeah. This is a goodie. Yeah. Who would have thought I'd pick a golfing <laughs> moment as my, my moment of the week. A um, little bit of a different one though. So it was announced this afternoon. Ash Barty is going to return to the sporting world, not on the tennis court, not on the cricket field, but as first predicted here on Old Sport Podcast, teeing off as a, as a golfer, um, she's playing in what's called the Icon Golf Series, which is basically a whole lot of the best sports people from around the world come together. They play in a 10-hole team match play tournament. It's in Jersey City. It's on the 30th of June and the 1st of July. And in her team is Harry Kane and Michael Phelps. So a little bit of an all-rounder team there. Fair to say, I don't know what Kane and Phelps are like at yeah. golf. I know Kane Kane swings a cricket bat okay. I've seen him in the playing some some indoor cricket before. I'm not sure what he's like with the golf, um, but Barty's swing was looking pretty smooth and pretty sleek. So uh, very keen, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of people tuning in because, as we know, her husband's a professional, former professional golfer. Um, 
And I wouldn't be surprised if if the golf bug managed to bite Ash a little bit. So anyway, there you go. There's a little a little entree before uh, before the 30th of June. Look forward <laughs> to it. Very exciting. Um, all right, my moment of the week is just the start of the NBA playoffs. Um, after a long season of some ups and downs, we finally got some reached some games that actually matter. Right. Um, oh my god. Yeah. It's um it gets to the point in the NBA season where it looks pretty set. You know, you have a few games at the end where they're deciding seeds and they get intense, but um a lot of the resting and stuff that goes on in the NBA, something needs to be done there. But we're here now, we're in the playoffs. Very exciting as always. Means there's two games of basketball on a day that are exciting, mean something. Some of the matchups this this round aren't uh, aren't exactly balanced, but hopefully get some good games out of them. And yeah, just good to have playoff basketball back. Um, all right, this fan moment of the week came in from Paul and it is Ronaldo's hat-trick against Norwich. Uh, Ronaldo and De Gea have seemingly carried uh, Manchester United recent, recently. Um, so he scored a hat-trick at, against Norwich and it was needed because they won 3-2. It's a, a side that's basically already, like it's a lock that they'll get relegated. Norwich and Manchester United are meant to be fighting for the top four. Um, so the fact that Ronaldo had to score a hat-trick for them to beat this team just kind of summarises Manchester United's season. Um, you know, you've got fans booing their their players, Paul Pogba included. It's just not not been a good season for Manchester United. Hamish... Oh, I was just going to say, um, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, well, very tragically, this morning, um, Ronaldo lost his newly born son. So, oh. with him at the moment, um, and I have no idea if he's going to play tomorrow morning against yeah. Liverpool. I, I suspect not. So, um, yeah, very happy for him to to get the hat trick. But obviously, things are going on a little bit bigger in his life at the moment. So, thoughts with him and and with his family, of course, as well. Um, and uh, on the Norwich, my, my housemate is a big Norwich fan. So uh, <laughs> they are likely to get relegated. Um, there's still a chance they could escape. Uh, if they'd won that game against Manchester United, which they played very well and deserved at least a point, yeah. was it not for Ronaldo's brilliance? Um, who knows what could happen? But uh, yeah, it's getting pretty pretty late in the season now for the teams down the, the bottom end of the table. Uh, boys, we're recording quite late on Tuesday night. And, you know, the blinds are shut. The sun's not up. It's a little bit harder to tell the time. <laughs> Ben, I'm wondering if you've got the time down where you are. It is a bit tough with the daylight savings coming to end. Well, I can confirm, Hamish, <laughs> that it Finally. is Cyprus's favourite time of the week. It is time for the one and only hit or miss. Let's get into it. Cyprus listeners, your favorite segment. Um, I'll start us off with the fact that North Melbourne don't deserve the right to host the Good Friday Clash. I'll just leave it with that. Uh, I'm saying miss just because when you have these marquee fixture games, you just got to set them in stone and accept that. Um, teams will go through cycles of being good and being bad. I mean, Melbourne were an absolute rabble. They still got Queen's birthday. And I don't like the idea that you just give marquee games to big clubs. Um, it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that if they get these big gates and they, they continue making a lot of money and they stay the really big club. So even though North's completely irrelevant, they can't pull a crowd. And that was like almost an acute form of torture trying to watch the game. <laughs> I, I do think, and part of it sort of comes from a, a saint's mind frame. I, I, I think you just got to give clubs like North Melbourne the chance to, to grow their brand. And as ridiculous as it may sound, uh, it'd even be great if they got a marquee game at, 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 at the G something like yeah. that. Um, help him out a bit. Should we get the Saints back to New Zealand, Ben? Uh, get yeah, playing yeah. On, on we went on three in New Zealand, so I'm going <laughs> to say no. Um, I'm with you on this one. I think it's actually a very firm miss. Um, I agree with everything that Ben said, plus the fact that North Melbourne do a hell of a lot for 
Royal Children's Hospital and the, the fundraiser behind the scenes and their players have very close relationships with a lot of the kids and go in. You often hear about them going in weekly and this kind of thing. Um, they do so much for the, the family. So it's it's a good Friday game is about more than just footy. Uh, and as Ben was saying, I don't think performance really needs to come into it. Um, we've had Carton playing Richmond on the first game of the season for 10 years and um, not getting smashed necessarily, but hasn't always been particularly even or exciting game to watch for the, the neutral. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy for North to, to definitely keep this one. What about you, Hugo? Yeah. What did you reckon? Yeah, a hundred percent. I, every year it comes up or well, yeah. the last few years it's come up and I think it's completely ridiculous. Um, I thought it was important for us to yeah. show that what we believe in, in this type of thing. I mean, it's, yeah, they deserve it. It's within their rights. I think um, they'll be competitive one day and it'll be a great game, but it's just not right now. Yeah, no, 100%. All right, mine's back in the, the basketball world, which is getting plenty of airtime this week, which is nice. So my question for, for you guys is, or my statement, the absence of LeBron James is the reason there is a lack of interest in the NBA playoffs this year, hit or miss? Uh, hit. Yeah, that's a big hit, at least from sort of personal experience. I know for a fact that if LeBron and the Lakers were playing the playoffs, I'd be um, sort of clearing out my diary at 11 or 12 p.m., uh, 11 p.m., maybe not. Um, but I'd be clearing out my diary to make sure I'm watching I'm watching every game that LeBron plays in the playoffs and can't say I'm doing that for any of these round one matchups. So, um, I think there are a few fans out there, especially perhaps outside of America, that are more LeBron fans than NBA fans. And he certainly adds that that extra bit of of narrative and excitement around the playoffs. So, yeah, it's a hit for me. Hugo? Yeah, I think I agree. Um, I mean, I'm still fully invested because I support a team that's doing quite well and um, have followed them this season as well. But, I mean, you know, LeBron's LeBron. He draws a huge crowd. Um, there's still, I think, a lot of interest in this year's playoffs, but I think there's a lot less than there would be if LeBron was coming up against Golden State in round one and then, yeah. you know, Memphis in round two. Yeah, it, it'd be, it's he's the biggest name in basketball still and still draws the biggest crowd. Yep. Do you have any thoughts on that, Hamish? No, I agree 100%. All right, Ben. God, what's what's all this? We're I know, I know, it's not normal. Hopefully, we can we can divide and conquer here, because um, I'm picking up on my guy, Mark McClure. I'm going to toe his line <laughs> and just say it is a joke that the AFL is so utterly devoid of interesting characters at a playing level. Hit or miss? I'm going to go with hit. Um, I think. They are. It is a bit devoid of interesting characters at the moment. And I think part of that is what's going on. I mean, we had Mark Robinson going on this massive rant last night talking about how <laughs> we might as well get 18 robots. This is on AFL 360 to go out and play instead of footballers because footballers don't have the chance to express themselves anymore in the game. And then Jared Waitley was reasonably logically pointing out that I'm not sure that raising your hands at the umpire is necessarily an expression of you as a person on the footy field. But anyway, Robbo clearly had a, a similar beanie's bonnet, but I, I tend to agree. And I think like you look at the, the media personalities who we've got in the game. A lot of these guys, they, the ex players I'm talking about, most of the interesting ones are from a couple of generations ago, the likes of the, the Dwayne Russells, um, even David King has got like, a bit about mm. him, Dermot Brereton, Jason Dunstall, all these yep. kind of guys. The modern era of the Hodges, um, Joe Watson, um, even to a lesser extent, Nick Rewalt, who is a you know very well-spoken, very interesting guy, and Jordan Lewis, they just don't have quite as much about them. And I feel like part of that is because AFL is uh, has become so rigid in, in the way we play the game. Um, rigid or professional? Yeah, yeah, right. rigid in a professional way. So, like, yeah. the, the the standards we hold them to on and off the field, um, the way their whole lives are observed, it's definitely not a lack of the, the players themselves having personality. I think they're just kind of put into to factory boxes. Sorry, I should have made that clear off the top. I don't think that the people playing it any less interesting. I just think the way we, we get to see them and the way the game's played does make it uh, less of a, interesting characters. But the ones that come to mind are the likes of uh, Toby Green and Max Gorn and these kind of... Um, icons who we, we love going to see uh, every week. So anyway, I'd love for, for them to be a few more of them. Yeah, I find it interesting. 
Um, I'm not sure if I'm a hit or a miss here. Well, that's not um, how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll go and miss then. Um, I think it's frustrating when you have media people like Cancorns. Who, you learned the sentence there. <laughs> uh, um, so in, earlier in the season, he's going after someone like Jack Ginevan, Ginevan, who's showing a bit of character and a bit of spice into the, into the, um, the game and outside of the game as well. And then you've also got him complaining about how there's no character in the game. Like it, it just, I feel like there's two sides of it where you've got these, these older commentators and things, you know, talking about how um, given shouldn't show this type of emotion and, and character. And then also you've got um, people saying they shouldn't have lives outside football. You know, you shouldn't be able to jump off, off, five meter high cliffs into the ocean and stuff like that. And then they're also complaining that there's no character in the game. I think the game itself still has enough, like the rules and stuff, and there's still enough in it for people to show who they are on the field. Like for a, a completely biased lens, you've got someone like Adam Saad who just as soon as he gets the ball, he takes a bounce. Like he doesn't even run. He just bounces and then jogs and then takes a man on sprints through the middle. You can still do that. And maybe it has shut down some things. I mean, you've still got Tom Hawkins using his character to buy a free kick and stuff like that. So I don't know. <laughs> just um, throw that one in there. <laughs> what? <laughs> I guess. Anyway, Ben, what do you think? Oh yeah, I I agree. Uh, I think that the objective statement that the AFL is devoid of interesting characters is yeah. a hit. Whether the tone that that's an awful thing is a hit is sort of a moot point for me. I think that the product of footy itself is is fantastic, and like you only have this sort of discussion because it's early in the year and things haven't spiced up. But when it comes finals time and you know, you got 90,000 people packing the G for hyper-relevant games of footy and people are talking about it all week. You're not really that concerned about the actual individuals that that populate the ground on game day. Um, there's so much more to it. So I, I think it's just sort of early season chitter-chatter that's wrapped up a lot in in a new rule, to be honest. I think the, the game's in, in pretty good order. Time for our On This Day, On This Week segment. And for this week, we have in 1869, the first international cricket match held in San Francisco, funnily enough, won by California. So that's an international game won by the state of California. I'm not sure how that works, but there we go. Um, It's a shame that cricket didn't stay up in the US, but um, for those who follow John Boy Media, hopefully there's a, a bit of a fan Fan oh, crowd building around cricket there. Um, let's get into our upcoming events now. Um, so the NBA playoffs will continue. You've got two games a day for a couple of weeks. Get through the first round and matches starting to get even more interesting. So keep an eye out for those games. Uh, in the F1, we have the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix taking place this weekend. Um, it's in Italy, so a big weekend for Ferrari. Um, the weekend is the first... This weekend is the first sprint qualifying of the season, meaning there's a short race to decide the start position of the main race. It's a controversial format. It's not really supported by most fans of the sport, um, but F1 does like to change things up and try something, especially the new owners of F1. Um, Charles Leclerc and Ferrari will be favourites once again, whilst Red Bull will be hoping to overcome their early reliability issues to score some much-needed points. Um, he is hoping Red Bull do fight back to make the championship a bit more interesting, but um, everyone likes Ferrari win as well. For Aussie Daniel Ricciardo, he'll be hoping he can emulate the last time he raced in Italy, although it was at Monza. Uh, he did manage to get a win there, so hopefully he can do that again. Hamish, what's happening in the soccer? Well, by the time this episode's released, Liverpool will have played against Manchester United. That's Wednesday morning, uh, early in the morning, Australia time. 
Chelsea play Arsenal at, I think, 4.40 in the morning on Thursday morning. Um, obviously, that is, that's Wednesday evening in, in the UK. Just to clarify for our international listeners, wouldn't want you to, to switch it on at the wrong time. Uh, that's about it for the soccer world, though, in the upcoming week. What about you, Ben? Who are, are you getting up for the Liverpool game? Yeah, I got work at 5.30 tomorrow morning, so I might get up at 5 and watch the first half an hour. Why not? What's half an hour sleep when you're getting like 20 <laughs> minutes sleep anyway? Can you watch it at work or is it is it not a go at all? Do no. stream the, it on the giraffes? <laughs> for those of you who know what line of work I'm in, it's not the kind of work where you can be streaming K on the side. No, no. we'll just leave it at that. You should just get a yuppie corporate job and you can just be watching <laughs> playoffs all day and just banking your money, mate. Um. On that note, uh, <laughs> upcoming in the, the golf and the tennis, there's the, the, the general tours roll on for, for the next month or so, but we are a month away from the next golf and tennis majors, both kickstarting on, on the weekend of the 19th or 20th of May, I think. Um, we've got the French Open tennis, obviously, and the USPGA Championship golf. So the anticipation starting to build for those two crackers. What have we got by way of tips and bold predictions here, Hamish? I'm not liking the look of yours as a Saints fan. <laughs> well, I'm going to the game on, on Friday night, first game in Canberra for the year, the Giants taking on the Saints. Hopefully it doesn't snow, but I've got Toby Green. He's back in for his first game. He's missed the last six six rounds, one last season and, and five this season. I got him kicking five goals, trying to make up for some of that, that last time. What about you, Ben? Yeah, similar theme. I've got Toby Green getting suspended again. So, <laughs> you know, surely not. Horses for courses. Um, yeah, for my bold prediction, I've got Adelaide beating the Bulldogs this weekend. That is Adelaide. bold. Adelaide beat, where is it? It's at Marvel. Oh, yeah, that's very ridiculously bold. Um, <laughs> right. I hope to see that backed up in the tipping comp then. Thank you very much. For your <laughs> I don't, none of this just chatter on the podcast, but. <laughs> Different things behind closed doors. <laughs> yeah, right. round one, Ben. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, very good stuff, gentlemen. Very enjoyable. Thank you all to the loyal listeners for, for plugging away as we've chatted our, our way through another great week in, in sports, dominated by a lot of headlines to come out of the AFL. And I'm sure it'll be much the same as, same as we roll through next weekend with a, a big week, including obviously the, the classic Anzac Day match up to recap so be sure to join us as we we bring you all the the tips fixtures and and bold predictions then but it is from myself hamish and hugo goodbye for now